you're listening to the Fintech Magazine podcast. In today's episode, we sit down with Peter Ramsey, founder of Built for Mars. Discover more about how the company first started, life during lockdown, and the importance of UX. Let's start it off. So obviously, great to have you today. Um, Really appreciate time to talk with you, Peter. Um, If you just want to start off by introducing yourself, um, just so we can start from there, that'd be great. Yeah. So my name is Peter Ramsey, and um, I'm the founder of Built for Mars which is uh, somewhere between a personal blog and a consultancy um, advisory thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was going to say that sums it up quite clearly. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, that, that's great. Um, I was going to say, Emily, if, if you wanted to start off first um, mm-hmm. and then I can carry on after. Um, so just kind of want to talk a bit about your fintech kind of background and a little bit about how going from fintech and then you now taken this project and this company and building it up and how that helped you. Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I dropped out of uni um, in my last year, six months from finishing a business degree uh, wow. to start a, a company. Um, that, was, that was a fintech company that basically used, well, it didn't start out like that, right? But it ended up using uh, open banking to assess mm-hmm. affordability. Super niche, but um, I think we were really good. And we yeah sold the company in 2018. And then after that, I was kind of, didn't know what to do with myself really. Um, you know, I spent six years doing one thing and then it was like suddenly needed something else to do. So um, I just helped like friends with products. And, you know, after a while I kind of looked back and I thought actually the bit I enjoyed the most out of everything, you know, being a founder, CEO, whatever, um, was just making products and just making things better and working out how humans work because they're quite weird, right? Mm, yeah. and, uh, <laughs> so ch- trying to trying to do that and uh, that kind of friends told friends and then two years later I'm working on some cool projects with some big companies uh, just from that really. And, and so the website was just, uh, I only started that about six months ago. That was really just a place because I was making the, re- I was doing the research anyway, right? And I was making these presentations and I was like, mm. God, if I just publish these, people would actually like find them interesting or may find them interesting, right? And um, that's what's happened. But like, so the website was never the thing really. I just quite kind of accidentally became a UX consultant. And now I love it. To be honest, I mean, even with that, just as a story to start off with, you know, I think a lot of the time um, it can be seen that sometimes with you saying, obviously, that you being at uni and then suddenly having, I don't know if you'd call it sort of an epiphany, but you kind of had a moment where you realise, actually, I know what I want to do. Um, And it seems to be that it's already created some sort of success for you because you have been able to sort of develop it. And like you said, you know, friend from a friend to really kind of branch out into understanding like the, the human side of <laughs> you know what, what, what with your um, what you're creating yeah it wasn't so much I, I epiphany probably is the wrong word right so we started <laughs> out uh it's a funny story so we started out being like trip advisor for student housing mm-hmm. so the idea was like so many bad landlords right and and people will go on and review their landlords anyway we somehow pivoted into this fintech product but that's how it started out. And so it really, it wasn't like an epiphany of a moment. It was like, I was so annoyed at our landlord because they charged us like so much money that in the end I was like, I've had enough, right? <laughs> and it was like, uh, you know, the Karen meme online where it's like, yeah. I, I was like yes. the ultimate Karen, right? <laughs> I was like, 
I'm going to start something and then I'm going to be able to slag you off on it. Um, and that was how it started. But it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a single moment. It was like, no, it, yeah. Three years. Um, probably. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. built up. Um, no, that, that, that's, that's really interesting to be honest. Um, Cause obviously it's, it's such a new thing, I suppose. Cause you said you founded it. Was it September uh, last year? Uh, so I sold the company September 2018 and mm-hmm. then straight away was like helping friends like that week really um mm-hmm. I still worked there for a year like I, I was kept on I had like an earn out effectively um and but then it was like part-time so I did some other stuff it's very vague there's no like certain <laughs> that I haven't like there's no there's no certain date I guess it just happened it, happened. it just happened yeah, yeah. yeah. with that I think it's just a lot of um especially for a lot of listeners I think what, what we discussed before is just to really sort of get a better understanding obviously of a of of what you do and kind of map it out there just kind of I think we'll just branch out if we can go on to the next question um I just want to know about why user experience is so important um so user experience is like everything you see and touch right so Mm -hmm. um you know if you if you get a job as a designer you will end up doing UX right and then people will say you're the ux designer you design the experience but the experience is is everything so it's from um the sign you have on your on your office window right mm, from totally. yeah, like like everything you know the handrails on stairs are, are experience that's ux it's important to everything we do it it touches every aspect of the entire company and the tech companies you see today that do really well and make brilliant products. So big names like Airbnb, right? Mm. Those guys, they have a culture where it's not a UX designer's role to do UX. It's like everybody, the salespeople are trained in experience and, you know, they will they will use that word um, like more liberally. With that sort of image in mind, you know, when you're saying, you know, for rails on a, on a set of stairs, you know, it is sort of that kind of, would you call it like a sort of, it's an interaction you're having through either the design elements of something, because I, I know, for example, with a lot of stuff that we do, it's trying to get that mindset right of how it's then going to interact either with a customer or with a client or, you know, the, the first image you have, which then will bring someone back. Yeah, everything. You know, so the study I've done really recently, which I think we'll talk about in a bit, was the mm-hmm. bank stuff, right? Um, yeah. mm-hmm. You know, to kind of jump ahead a little bit, one of the things in there in the first chapter was the envelopes right i talk about the envelopes that banks send their cards out in what's what's really funny to me about that is these challenger banks monzo revolut and starling um they're desperate to be seen to be different right they they want to to shout from the rooftops like we are not your traditional bank that's their whole thing and you know what like all these traditional banks do is they send the same cut they send the cards out in the same envelopes and it's the envelope that, like, if you saw it, you'd go, oh, it's a bank envelope, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, nobody is excited when it comes through. But, but these other, you know, these other companies, just by changing the envelope, it changes the mindset of when you pick up that card for the first time like, on the doorstep, you're like, mm. oh, I know what this is, right? Like, because it's like a different color. It's like a bit weird. You know, where would that fit in the design of like a company? Like, whose role is that to choose the envelope? Well, I can almost guarantee in these big traditional banks, someone once decided it was the white envelope right probably in compliance they were like we should say private and confidential on it right sounds serious and that's (laughs) been it now for like 30 years you know no one touches that um i don't know where i was going with that but no i I think we're just 
that's a good point actually to think about do you think a lot of it is sort of like branding so if there's companies that have really strong branding you like don't even need to see the logo anymore it's just a color and you can recognize you know a company through that do you reckon it's it's Mm. is it similar to that in a sense because it's like experience through what companies have to offer through design yeah so there's an there's a there's a small element of that right so if a company is like synonymous with trust so a company like visa right if you see Mm. visas making this payment you don't really think twice about like it you you just think well that's that kind of trust that and and so nothing in their logo is implicitly trustworthy but Mm. because that logo is on an experience it will change your perception of that experience so you take the visa checkout and put some like logo you've never seen before suddenly everything feels dodgy right if i was designing an experience for for an established company like visa and one for a startup doing payments they would probably end up being completely different that's interesting i that something like that as well like that just interests me because i a lot a lot of what i look into is design uh so your chapter three has just gone live this morning is that right yeah 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 uh so i've looked at like you've released some like graphs you do your graphs for your chapters which seem like mm-hmm. i see them all over my linkedin to be honest um yeah. the one today is how many clicks it takes to freeze your card do you want to tell us a little bit more about why you do these graphs and why you think it's so important that it's to have clicks and also i think you do time as well just tell us a bit like yeah I wish I'd I wish I'd watermark those graphs because I see them everywhere as well, like mm. out of context. The graphs were like, you know, I wish I could say it was all some like smart move that I planned, but uh, the graphs were like a late addition. The case studies that you see, they're the first things I did, so that's mm. what I normally do. And then, and then I was like, I need to tie these together with some content, and then I was like, I could put it in a graph. So I don't know. The the graphs are important because it, I think it's useful because you can look at it right, and it's like, you know, it's visual. Mm. Then. You know, clicks to make a like like clicks to freeze your card. Like I think I say straight away afterwards, it's like this is this is quite a poor metric to like judge an experience on. Like actually what I'm showing in that one is this is how much banks prioritize frequent access to this thing. That's kind of my point there. And I couldn't think of a better graph than a bar chart, but there's probably a there's probably like a, a Venn diagram or something that would work slightly better. But um Well, I guess um from that graph is that a lot of the time, I suppose a lot of the information from that graph, it just helped to break up a lot of the time, you know, if it is when it comes to going onto your banking website or whatnot or making a payment, you you do have that repetition of either screen after screen or information after information where it can just then drag out the process longer and you're not, I suppose, achieving as quick a time what you want to achieve that would be in a simple few clicks. Yeah, that's the thing. It's, you know, it's a constant balance and, and it's, it's like, you know, there's no perfect route either. Like a lot of, you know, a lot of this is like, it's very nice that TechCrunch call me like a specialist, right? But like, it's just my opinion, right? Like it could easily (laughs) just like, I didn't give them that word. Uh, (laughs) Very nice of them, but like, this is just my opinion of what I think a nice experience should be like. But yeah, you, you could have, you know, far fewer clicks and, and a much nicer one. You could double the clicks and have an even nicer one. Like the challenge is, is it does every click matter? That That's probably the best, mm-hmm. you know, and I, a, a good graph would be me rating if every click mattered. But then it's kind of like it's very opinion based. And um, here's a graph of my opinion it doesn't seem very sensible. You know, <laughs> like uh, maybe that's what I should do. Yeah, maybe that's what I do. Yeah. <laughs> I always try I, I try and not give my opinion too much because there's a lot of opinions on Twitter right like there's mm-hmm. there's a lot there's enough opinions out there I, I try and just point out stuff and go you know this takes longer and this is why you may feel it takes longer I try mm-hmm. and not say and this is better 
ultimately I'm one demographic, right? I'm like a 27 year old male, right? But then a 50 year old female might look at that and go, actually, I prefer the other one, right? And she's not mm. wrong, you know? So if HSBC turn around and say 90% of our audience are, you know, migrants, right? Mm. That's, a total, that's a different world, like, yeah. you know? that's not what I think the experience should be like so um. no I, I think that that's a good point to mention because um I suppose like you said you know for example on Twitter you know a lot of the time interactions I think we it must have been the other day um again if I'm if I'm wrong Emily I can't remember if I saw it with you or if I just saw it online but obviously on Twitter with some stuff you know it will only have coverage for about 20 minutes and sometimes the coverage for it you know for example with yours if you're just pointing it out as a general bunch of information you know sometimes not having an opinion on it just putting it out there to have it for other people to see kind of it helps them make up their own mind or their own decision on something so like you pointed out if you've got a certain demographic which you're looking at HSBC or a different bank for instance and they prefer that process it does then come back interesting to see what sort of figures go behind it of it's 90% that work for this way of doing banking it is oh, that, that that is an interesting point to put out there actually because you, yeah. you do get to get more of a feel of you know how it works there are some things like you know online i'm trying to think of a nice way to word this online people <laughs> are like there's a, there's a few people that are slagging me off basically that's the best best phrase i can think of they they follow me around on linkedin posts i get tagged in and then will just mm. like slate me and call me a liar as if as if i've just made up statistics right and these banks haven't checked it like these banks have all been in touch with me, like, you know, pretty senior people from these banks, um, even the ones that do really poorly. Do you not think that if I lied about it took taking like 60 days to create an HSBC mm. account, there'd be a message out there going, by the way, that's not true. But that that's one, for example, where it's like, there's no room for error in terms of like demographic that it's, mm. that it's okay for it to take that long. Like no one wants it to take longer. So some yeah. of the graphs are like, this is, a, and that's why I think that first chapter did so well is because it's like, you know, um, separated from my opinion, it's like very experience based. Um, mm. I think I think that that's the thing. You know, um, unfortunately, I think I've heard it before many times that unfortunately, if if you either you're you're doing something whether it's work related um, or something that's kind of a altered opinion or you're trying to put something out there, the only benefit of having people either disagree or question what you're doing is because they're still interested. <laughs> they may not understand yeah. or they may not agree, but you okay. know, luckily they're still interested. And they go, actually, no, I, I kind of I don't understand, but I kind of want to still follow, you know, and see where they go with this. So yeah. I would say I would say that as a bonus, even if there are people out there that are not agreeing. It's unfortunate, but <laughs> yeah, I, I know, it's, it's fine. I've had my fair share of people dislike what I do but it's like um what's funny is most of the time I click on their profile and they're like UX manager at like a bank or something I'm like oh I see like that's fair <laughs> yeah. like I, I've you know I've had like 30 million people see my slag off of you 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 get one shot right like that's <laughs> fine I'll give you this moment well I think going with that you know um Emily and I have both had a had a look through obviously your previous success on LinkedIn um just with the different awards that you've had you know whether you've been a finalist um just going through the last year or so you know that's still a great foundation that you're creating for yourself that you are you are putting yourself out there it is developing and it just seems to be um you know that you always get given that question of where do you see yourself in five years time but I'm sure you still have that mindset of there's only so many like there's so much more to come and it can only get better I hope so yeah I, I say that all the time like if um <laughs> I said, yeah, I, so my 
I should, should be wife now, but we've had to cancel the wedding. But I say to her all the time, like uh, for the because of coronavirus, not because of we had an yeah. argument. Uh, <laughs> yeah, okay. So I say to her all the time, like you know, if we stay here forever, I'll be so disappointed. And it sounds so ungrateful, but it's like because if I spend the next six years of my life just trundling along doing stuff, it'd be quite mm. disappointing, right? Um, I'm always trying to level it up, but I'm that sounds horribly cliched. I don't know how to do that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but I think I think that's what everyone does, right? Like, um, mm, of course, I mean, like, I think like what like you've just mentioned, obviously, with um, the unfortunate <clears throat> coronavirus situation at the moment, that it does seem to be the the level with that as well. You know, a, a lot of that you mentioned before is you you do sort of do working from home or you are able to do working remotely. Is there anything which you'd say uh, this current moment in time has kind of been a bit more of a benefit for you or something that you're missing? You know, like for us, we we've had an element of missing either just the social interaction of being at the office. Is there anything that's kind of hit the nail on the head with you at the moment? Um, so my life hasn't changed a huge amount. Like to give you an idea of my work week, how it normally works, right? Like I'll spend probably half my time with clients, right? Like so mm-hmm. people building products or well, it's always products. I don't, don't know why I said that. Like people building products and then I do some stuff with them, right? Then the other half of the time, I'll either be doing my own stuff. Like I, I'm also trying to build a, another company at the moment that's like super techie. I won't go into it because it's like a rabbit hole, basically. But I'm, <laughs> We I'm don't mind rabbit to... holes. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's like um, it's me and these, these guys are building this thing in like stealth mode, basically. So that's probably like a year and a half away. Oh, okay. So I spend half my time doing that company or built for Mars, like the website, like the case studies you see. The half that I spend with clients, I would either do at home, like the rest of the stuff I do at home all the time. The half with the clients, I'd either be at home or I'd be like traveling up to London to see them wherever they are. Um, now I don't do that, obviously. And that's really nice for me because that was always like, you know, traveling to London from Brighton is not fun. Like, I don't know if you, <laughs> like that's that Southern Rail line. I was line. Gonna say that, that's a trek, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's, uh, if it turns up, right? So I used to drive to Canary Wharf and then get the train. It was like a real nightmare. It was nice, like, uh, you know, it's nice to, to have the face-to-face time, but I think we're fortunate now, like, something that's fortunate out of it is people accept, like, Zoom calls as, like, a normal thing now, whereas before mm. it would have been, like, oh, you can't be bothered to turn up, whereas now people are like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll just jump on Zoom, so I spend so much less time travelling. Mm. I hate to say it's all right for me, but, like, <laughs> work-wise, it's, like, it's not too, it's not too bad. I can, I can get by. Right. Um, well, I was going to say actually, in you know the current pandemic, do you think banks have realised how important you know user experience is and technology and the fact that people aren't going to their banks to speak to people, you know, speak in person as much? Do you think yeah. that's changing digital and user experience at all? I mean, you know, one way to look at it is. Like, I'm not trying to, I haven't got crystal ball, right? I don't know which way this lands in, in two years' time. But, like, if if fewer people visit branches, it means having that really nice branch experience will be less important. So Monzo, Revolut, Stalin, they're all great. You can't go and visit them. Uh, mm. Whereas when I go to my bank, I can go in store. I live in quite a small town near Brighton. So they, they seem to recognize my face. You get, like, a bit of face-to-face time. You know, that builds to the trust, right? When you can see someone in a nice a nice suit, and they're like, I'm the branch manager. You're like, oh, okay, you, you mm. can handle my money, right? Yeah. <laughs> That's all part of the experience. So if coronavirus stops people or or if this just change in perception stops people visiting branches as much, they should spend less money on that experience and more money on the digital equivalent, which would be quick customer service, right? As part of the study, I sent a message to um, each of the banks, right, to like see what their response would be about something. I don't know if it will make it in because the responses were so bad that I'm like, <laughs> I, this is like probably not very useful. But it was something I did. And 
like honestly i think only one replied within like three hours and so for me to be like hey i've got this urgent problem and then at least two of the challenger banks bear in mind like didn't respond mm. for three hours that's pretty that's pretty bad you know within three hours i would have just driven to the branch i think it'll be more important to like to transfer some of the money that would have gone into nice central locations into product yeah no i think that's um that's a really important important incentive actually because um i suppose similar to you you know from from my experience with banking or just either going into a branch compared to using it online it is it is just that mentality of adapting to current situations like mentioned with coronavirus um and you know with working remotely but i think with banking it is or it does seem like one of those things that if you go into a bank you know I can go in and have the comfort of talking to someone you know face to face or you know you'd still have someone there to, like you said manage your money you can at least be like you can see a face to where the money is going and you know that there is a lot of development you know with stuff going online and you've got those still sort of interactions of a 2d surface of having someone explain you know investments um or anything to do with key information that you need but i, th- I think that's one of the things it does seem to be that with the with the current pandemic it is just quite significant for banks to really try and work yeah <laughs> and it's and it's totally irrational of humans to I say humans it's like it's it might come across weird i people used to laugh at me at my last job because that we worked a lot with automation and I'd refer to people as humans a lot and then they'd always laugh because it's like, <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. But like, uh, you know, people are super rational. There is no reason why my money is safer because I can see a man who works at a bank. Like he just works there. He could leave, right? And then there's a new face, right? There's so much subconscious like psychology that goes into, like if you first visit a branch and the person doesn't smile at you, I haven't got stats to back it up, but I bet you trust that bank less. So yeah, it's like, it's super irrational to feel like that. And something that coronavirus has done is it's just, um, you know, accelerated things that were inevitable anyway. So, you know, mm. the movement out of cities like Silicon Valley's like commercial prices just too high, right? That mm. is something that is gonna burst someday. You know, it, it, something needs to happen. And this will probably end up being some catalyst for like companies moving out of the valley and into um, you know, cheaper areas, pay people who are just as good, but you can pay them a lot less money. Um, that was inevitable, but it needed like some sort of um, ignition, right? And, and that's what this has done. And, and I think in banking, there are so many areas where people will win out of this situation because perceptions change. So yeah, people don't go into branches. In six months time, will they turn around and go, I didn't go into a branch six months. I don't need to do this in a branch, right? Like that might die down. You, you might see that high street banks don't don't exist on the high street in the same way. International payments, like a lot of people are sending money internationally right now. Um, and it's costing, it's still, so that's the next chapter. It still costs 25 pounds to send a payment to Santander. I, I sent a one pound payment and it cost me 26 pounds, right? You know, so it's like, that's that's mental. But how does that, mm-hmm. You know, how is that a thing? And it's just unacceptable when, you know, lots of lots of banks charge nothing. Like who's paying £25? So I would expect to see international payments, like really see change there. You know, companies like TransferWise and stuff, they've been just like mopping up basically mm-hmm. all the people that, all the banks that aren't innovating. Um, yeah, I, I think I think a lot of people will, will be surprised at the rate of change in the next 18 months. It'll be greater than the last five years, I think yeah definitely i think i think that is just one thing that we've got to i guess it's sort of pending at the moment you know we can imagine what it's going to be like and see hopefully 
when we come out of this tunnel, you know, with, with regards to the pandemic and obviously getting things back to normality or whatever normal is. So just like from that, why do you think it's so important, uh, like what you're doing and like why this information, I mean, will it make a difference? Do you think people are going to recognise, oh my gosh, that is so much quicker for me to do that or that takes me less clicks? That's something, that's a bank that I should be uh, considering. Do you think it's important? Um. Well, I, ho- I hope it's important, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, do I, you know, do I think consumers, do I think it will be noticeable that consumers will change behaviour off this article? Like, no, realistically not. Like, you know, if anyone's going out there and changing their bank based on this article, awesome, please get in touch, right? Because, like, that would be a great case study for me. But, like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that's realistic. I think what what I've done is, because there is there are so many people that do you like case studies on like like reports right they call them reports and they're normally a consultancy called like you know fintech extra consultancy or whatever right and it's like you know they spend six months doing a report it's like 80 pages it's a pdf no one reads it completely Mm. dry you know something i've tried to show here is like to the banks like this is the difference between the challenger banks and yourself in a lot of regards right this is the stuff that internally these banks all know they did this right and you know the guys that started these banks um that and and the teams they work with they you know they clearly understand product and this is the stuff they've discussed internally and you haven't ever thought about or at least you haven't built um so I, i think i think what's likely to happen is the banks will change stuff because well actually i know some of the banks will change stuff because some of the banks have already changed stuff one of the problems i've got now is i told the banks i was doing a freeze chapter section and like a handful of the banks changed their page in between me telling them and like launching it and like because i told them uh, this is what's being released and here's like a statistic um Mm. and then that statistic obviously changed because they went and changed the stuff uh so I know that they've been changing stuff and they've told me that they're working on things. So it's like, if the banks just change a few stuff and, and you know, they have this like long-term appreciation for like their own product. Like, I think that's like a win, right? Um, but I don't, yeah, think absolutely. People, I don't think people see my report and then go out and open like Revolut accounts. Like, I don't think that's happening. <laughs> you, know. uh, you never know. <laughs> well, if they do, I want to be on commission, right? Like I should get a code <laughs> or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Emily, I'm not sure if you've got any um any more questions. Um probably just to kind of start to wrap things up. Uh I don't want to ask any cliche questions like where do you see your future? But um but I guess <laughs> that was what I was going <laughs> to Yeah. Ask. <laughs> yeah. Um uh, I, I I honestly I don't know. Like the metrics to you know the metrics I like use myself in terms of like money and stuff wouldn't be it wouldn't be right it's like it's not interesting to anyone else right like you know i think people have internal like i would really like to have this item and it's like if that was publicized they'd be like god that's embarrassing that like my life is built around that item you know um (laughs) but i I just want to be building stuff i enjoy working on things i want to do um i think one one thing which um which i think uh should be mentioned was the uh discussion we we did have before this was obviously when you mentioned about uh, cash machines mm. 
if you wanted to branch into that, the difference of the interaction you have in the normal sure. space of the day of going to a cash point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so this was, this is like a, like one of my favorite examples, um, just of like UX and, and I think it helps. So, so I sometimes do like workshops with companies where they'll, I'll like do like an ask me anything or like a, you know, basically like a zoom call with like some employees and they'll be like, I don't understand UX, right? Like they, they work in development or something. And, and I kind of have, I think explained it to you a little bit, but, um, this example like highlights that. So if you were to design a cash machine right now, and you know, it might end up looking something like a cash machine does now, right? It'd have a screen, some buttons, like, sure. Okay. You might make the screen better and you might make the, because you know when you look at cash machine and it's like the button doesn't line up with the thing mm, yes. and you're like, <laughs> like bend down like you know solve that problem first right and then but, but you might have solved that problem when you have a cash machine now you take that you show 100 people feedback's really good fine but when you take that same cash machine and put it in like different contexts so like a nightclub right and you have someone at three in the morning who's like super drunk um and they're trying to show off to their friends and they want to take out like 500 pounds and buy like a bottle or something, right? As you do, um, yeah. Uh, you know the type, right? <laughs> and uh, normally really bad at conversation, buy lots of alcohol. Uh, and then they, anyway, the cash machine that they would use, if you were designing a cash machine just for drunk people, it would be like, it'd be different. Like nobody would argue that it should look like that. You'd have mm. fewer buttons, you'd have more like, are you sure questions. <laughs> you'd probably have like a limit of like something sensible. Mm. um every in fact it would look totally different and you'd see it and you go i've never seen a cash machine like this before but then when you're drunk it would make a lot of sense um anyway my point is the experience that you design like just in those two contexts you've got two different cash machines there's two different products but but people when they build a product will, will think of like their office or you know they even think of the device they're using so you know when i design stuff i normally think about my iphone right i don't think about the like blackberry that someone still owns right because mm. it just doesn't cross your mind so yeah. the context of environments is like really different and and that's actually where the name built for mars came from i don't think i've ever told anyone this because it's like super lame right um but the name built for mars was like the context of mars is like super like harsh and weird environment it's like um if you build a product for mars you're having to preempt all the weird things that might happen there um you know that movie the martian where he's like have you seen the martian yeah right? so this super i told you this is super weird so uh when he has to like grow that veg yeah right um you know there's stuff he has to do there that if you were like selling him oh my god i can't believe i went down this if you were selling him like a grow your own veg kit right for mars yeah it, it would look totally different to the veg kit that you buy here yeah, of course. So the name built for Mars was like um, the product is built for the context of like an alien environment, like something that that was it. And I, now I've realized saying it aloud why I've never told that story. <laughs> no, to be honest, that, that makes a lot of sense. I think because yeah. that, that that was on my mind, um, you know, because I think looking at the company name and the website and stuff, it was very much sort of it's out of this world, but you're, you're creating something that has to work, <laughs> that, you know, that kind of has to adapt yeah. to that environment. So, you know, could I put into the question, is that why sometimes you put it as uh, talking about humans and human Mate, side of things? Uh, that, you know, I've, I've talked about people as being humans for so long now, 
and I don't know why, and it's weird. Um, um, I think it's just weird, like when you work with systems and like we, we did a lot of stuff with like, I don't want to say AI because it's not AI. And someone who actually does AI would look at it and go like, you know, you're, you're lying basically. Uh, but it's like, it felt like AI to me, right? Like uh, it's like super low level, but for me it was like, this is the smartest thing I've ever seen. Um, <laughs> you know, so when I talked about humans, it was like, we talked about how the software would see stuff and the human would see stuff. And same people sounded more like users. So human mm. is more like objectively, I imagine like, you know, an outline of a mm. human, right? Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, that, that, that makes sense. The weird way um, I view the world, right? <laughs> but it makes sense. That's the thing with, with this whole um, FinTech, you know, uh, discussion, you know, for the podcast, it is just kind of, there's a lot to be explored through the work that you do. And I think sometimes just breaking it down, simplifying it, it just helps to sort of uh, make it easier to comprehend, I suppose, for for, lis for listeners, you know, that are in the industry, uh, people that want to know more, but don't necessarily have the right questions or, you know, it, it, it is just one of those things. And I think from Emily and I, I think we can both agree, we've, we've learned a lot from this. And I think it's just exciting to see that what else is going to be developed in the next six months the next 12 months for you so mm. you know re really appreciate um the time for you for doing this and um i think as well it's just a good time to wrap it up um like emily said we, we won't put any sort of cheesy last liners or anything but um yeah nice just a, <laughs> okay. just a really boring story about you know the martian film <laughs> but mean, it's a classic and you know what i give you credit for linking that to your work so yeah <laughs> i can't fault that Fine. Um, no, it's, it's been it's been great, Peter. I um, really appreciate it. And um, cheers. All right, we'll get in touch anytime. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll let you know how this goes and um, speak soon. <laughs> Brilliant. See ya. Bye. Bye bye. bye.